I realized as I was listening to Dr. Larry's children's moment that I messed up and wore the purple stole instead of the white one today. So thank you for noticing that today and for pointing that out. We do change the colors of our pyramids when we have Communion Sunday to white, but then we are seasonal for Advent with purple. And so we're all good today. We'll just, we'll just accept my, my mishap and, and move along. If I were to ask you what Christmas is all about, what is it that you would say? Most of you sitting here today would say, well, obviously it's about Jesus. Obviously it's about the birth of Christ and him coming into the world. But what would people say who aren't as churched as some people are, who, who don't attend as regularly? Maybe they didn't grow up in the church. Maybe the church has hurt them. What would they say when you ask them what Christmas is about? If you watch any kind of TV or listen to the radio at all, a lot of people would say that, that finding the perfect gift is what Christmas is all about. Some would say it's about beautiful decorations and, and the tree being just right and just perfect. Some may say, well, it's about Santa Claus. He watches over everyone all year long. He makes sure he knows if you're bad or good. And then on one night every year, he flies around the world passing out divine judgment in the form of a really nice gift or a big old lump of coal. That's how Christmas works, right? At least that's how a lot of the songs on the radio and the Christmas music that you hear in stores talks about Christmas. In America, our, our consumerism has made Christmas about spending as much money as you possibly can on those that you love. It's about having the perfect Christmas card with, with the perfect charcuterie board to, to pass around to everyone. Maybe it's about a family get-together where nobody this year talks about politics. Everyone is merry and bright, and, and it's perfect. Christmas in our culture, it can leave people feeling quite exhausted, can leave them feeling overwhelmed, it can leave your bank account drained. In the time period when Jesus came into the world, the Jewish people were under Roman occupation. Now, if you've read any of the Old Testament or heard any of it preached or proclaimed, you know that, that Israel had its good moments and it had its bad moments with God. Sometimes all was well, sometimes things were bad, sometimes they were naughty, sometimes they were nice. It says back and forth between the Jewish people and between God. But when Je Jesus Christ comes into the world, times for the Jewish people are pretty dark. Things are pretty bad because they are being oppressed. And in the midst of this oppression and in the midst of this hardship, they are waiting on the Messiah to come. They are waiting on that Savior that has been prophesied, that Savior that has been promised that will someday come and save them and be that good and perfect king. What they're expecting is somebody, though, who's going to rule with a heavy hand. They're expecting somebody who is decidedly just going to stamp out the Roman government and make all right with the world. They're expecting a warrior. And this Savior that comes to them, this Jesus, this Messiah, this Emmanuel that is God with us, comes in a very unexpected way. 
He looked a lot different than a warrior. He looked a lot different than anything they had possibly imagined. And so when the angel comes to Joseph, this good and this dutiful Jewish man, he certainly wasn't expecting the Jesus that the angel told him about. He wasn't expecting the Jesus that Mary said that she was carrying within. He was expecting what all good Jewish people were expecting. There's a story of a little girl who she was drawing a nativity. Her mom had given her this task to draw this nativity to try to keep her busy for a little while. And she worked quite intently for a good bit of time on this nativity. Everything was just right when she was done. The camels, they were loaded down from the long journey. The shepherds, they were there with their sheep. The three wise men had brought their gifts of gold, of frankincense, and of myrrh. The stable was filled with the cows and other livestock as it should be. And right there, front and center, were Mary and the baby Jesus. It was perfect. And so the little girl, she got up to show her mom the the picture that she had worked so hard on to draw. And her mother looked at it for a minute, and, and she studied it. And she realized that Joseph was not in the picture that her daughter had drawn. And she thought, well, I just need to tell her that that Joseph's missing and she'll work quickly to just fill him back into that nativity. And when she told the little girl that he was missing, the girl looked at her mom and she was really exasperated with her. And she said, who needs Joseph anyway? In some ways, people might argue she's right. We all know the biology is not there. He's traditionally standing in the background of, of the manger scenes. There's not even all that much literature out there available on him. He doesn't even speak in the New Testament, and the only other time he shows up is when they present Jesus in the temple at age 12. He may have a part or two where he shows up in a hymn, but there's certainly not any of our hymns that just glorify Joseph. He's a bit character. He plays this secondary role in the greatest story that's ever told. And yet Joseph will be the earthly father of the savior of the world. Joseph will be the one who shapes the man that Jesus becomes. That first Christmas, it was anything but perfect. It upset all social expectations and conventions. There was no grand Christmas tree lighting. There were no Christmas parades. There was no cookies with Santa or Hallmark Christmas movies. None of that was there. Most wouldn't have even expected the incarnation of Christ to come through a young virgin girl. But all too often, I think we forget that in the midst of our perfect Christmases, in the midst of our beautiful nativity scenes, behind all of that, was this thread of scandal. Not just the wonder at the birth of Christ, but scandal that had fallen upon Joseph and upon Mary. It certainly wasn't an easy time for Joseph or for Mary, and we'll talk more about her next week. But Joseph is this good and this righteous man. The scripture says he was righteous, and he discovers that his wife, or his fiancee, soon to be his wife, is pregnant. And it's not his. Now the narrator, you and I, we all have the privilege of being on the other side of the story. So we know that it's of the Holy Spirit. We know that this is a good thing. But Joseph and the rest of his community, they have no idea. 
And so imagine Joseph being told by Mary that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It would be quite shocking, honestly. It would be disappointing. He'd probably be sad and probably even a bit angry. And we all know that that as human beings, when we find ourselves under pressure in that that pressure cooker of, of societal norms, who we are at our core, that's when our true colors begin to shine through. And this was true for Joseph. Joseph was a man who, by societal rules, by Jewish custom, he could have had her stoned to death for being pregnant because it wasn't his. But instead, we see as the story unfolds that that his choices are driven by his great love, by his commitment to Mary. He loved her, and he wanted her her to be well. He cared about her well-being. But it's also driven by his conviction about how he wanted to behave in this particular situation. Dismissing her quietly, it would avoid public disgrace, and it wouldn't make him out to be a victim. His choices, though, as he's trying to be righteous and good to her, his choices still don't deal with that deeper concern that is evident in the scripture. Mary not only claimed that she was pregnant, but she said it was by the Spirit of God. And so while Joseph may be this bit character in the greatest story that's ever told, his decisions and his, his, his actions they have a significant impact on the way the story unfolds. If he hadn't chosen to do the things the way that he did, the story would have unfolded much differently. And we find as we read through the scripture that through it all, God comes to Joseph. God comes to those who are in difficult circumstances, who are struggling with the way life has treated them, who are struggling with the choices that they need to make and what's the next right decision in their life. In the midst of those painful and difficult situations, we see God coming again and again and again, and it's no different with Joseph. God comes and is with him. God sends that angel to tell Joseph the truth about the situation to confirm what Mary has told him. And the angel says to him, I know this isn't what you wanted. I know this wasn't expected. But this is where we are right now, and everything will be okay. God is doing something beautiful and amazing and wonderful through Mary and ultimately through you. And God is doing this in spite of all the social norms and the social expectations. And so when that angel comes and appears to Joseph in that dream, it calms that inner turmoil. And the angel gives Joseph that wisdom that he needs to know what to do and what choices to make. The birth of Jesus, it it disrupted Joseph's whole world because God does come in unexpected ways. God comes outside of the picture-perfect Christmases that we all expect. So what if your pre-lit tree is only half-lit? So what if the cornbread dressing has just a little too much sage this year? So what if the perfect present doesn't arrive on time because of shipping delays or because it's in a ditch somewhere in rural Alabama? So what? God is still going to come. And God is still going to be 
with each and every one of us because God works through the less than perfect. God is with each and every one of us just like God was with Joseph in the midst of the stress and the shock. God was there all along the way guiding him and nurturing him and loving him. The Christmas story, when you look at it at its core, it's filled with hard choices. It's filled with sacrifices. And you find that that knowing the will of God is not enough. Doing the will of God is what matters. Living into it and making the choices that are sometimes difficult to make, knowing that it's part of God's will and knowing that God goes before you. Joseph, he was a dutiful man. He was righteous. And in listening to God, he moved from that place to a place of compassion, to a place of acceptance, to a place of, I'm going to do this. God is calling me to something different, something beyond the world's expectations. What does it look like for you to go beyond the world's expectations? What does it look like for any of us to step into God's dream for the future. Those are all different decisions that each of us has to make, but they include letting go of our desires to explain ourselves to others. It includes that we don't necessarily have to be validated by the world standards because we're following the way of God. We don't have to be seen as socially acceptable because God calls us to a different way of being. God is with each and every one of us, just like God was with Joseph. We just have to be willing to stop, to listen, and then we have to be willing to step out on faith and act. Let us pray. Holy God, we do give you thanks for all the many ways in which you come to us. You come through dutiful people like Joseph, You come through skeptical people like Zechariah. You come through the faithful people like Mary. God, help us to look to them and to follow their examples. Help us to listen for your guidance before we act. Help us to be willing to act in your name, even when it's difficult. Most importantly, Holy God, help us never to forget that you You are with us in all times and in all places. God, we pray this morning for our world. We pray for the impact of COVID and the ways it's still affecting each and every one of us. Continue to guide the scientists in their research to better understand this virus. Give strength and encouragement to healthcare workers, to those who remain on the front lines trying to help all who are impacted. God, we pray this morning once again for those who are living in the wake of gun violence. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Welcome into your eternal arms the dead who were cut down far too soon. Heal those who were wounded. Comfort the loved ones who are left to pick up the pieces. And convict us and all our leaders to do more to address this problem. God, we pray for those in our midst who are grieving this holiday season, whether it's the first 
Christmas without their loved one or the 25th. God, comfort them in their loneliness and give them peace in the midst of their sorrow. We offer this prayer to you, Almighty God. And now we join together as we confess our sins and as we give thanks that you are a God of grace who freely forgives. Merciful God, always with us, always coming. We confess that we don't know how to prepare for your advent. We've forgotten how to hope in miracles. We've ignored the promise of your kingdom. We're sometimes skeptical that you hear our prayers and we get distracted by all the busyness of this season. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Grant us the simple wonder of the shepherds. Grant us the intelligent courage of the Magi and the patient faith of Mary and Joseph so that we may journey with them to Bethlehem and find the good news of a child born for us. Now, in the quiet of our hearts, we ask you to make us ready for his coming, and we thank you for the gift of grace and forgiveness that you give to us through him. Amen.